Today on the Matt Wall Show, major media outlets are now replacing their journalists with AI. We can all agree that most journalists are expendable, but what happens when AI starts taking real jobs? We'll discuss. Also, The Daily Wire unveils the trailer for our first feature-length comedy. It's already getting a huge reaction. We'll talk about that. Plus, Derek Chauvin was stabbed and almost killed in prison. And in our daily cancellation, the leftist mob comes after a random child for wearing a costume to a football game. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Diversify your savings with physical precious metals while stockpiling silver in your home safe. With Birch Gold Group's most popular special of the year, now through December 22nd, for every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they'll send you a one-ounce silver eagle coin for free. Text Walsh to 989898 to claim your eligibility now. You can purchase gold and silver and have it shipped directly to your home or have Birch Gold's precious metal specials help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold for no money out of pocket. And they'll send you free silver for every $5,000 you purchase. Keep it for yourself or give something with real value as a stocking stuffer this year. Just text the keyword Walsh to 989898898 to claim your eligibility with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. Now is the best time to buy gold from Birch Gold. Text Walsh to 989898 and claim your eligibility for free silver on qualifying purchases before December 22nd. That's Walsh to 989898. About a year ago, Sports Illustrated uploaded a video to their various social media channels. It shows uh, Steph Curry, the Golden State Warriors point guard and NBA champion, uh, making five full court shots in a row, just about 30 seconds. Now, in case you're not familiar with basketball, this is an athletic feat that is about as close to, to statistically impossible as you can get. But Sports Illustrated played it straight. Uh, the outlet wrote on their Twitter account, quote, just finished a shoot with Steph Curry. This dude just can't miss. Now, watching it, there's no obvious way to tell that it's fake, even if you watch it a few times. It seems real. You see him shoot the basketball. The camera follows the ball, goes in the hoop, looks basically legitimate. But of course, none of it was legitimate. And Sports Illustrated knew that because the creator of this clip, who they tagged in one of the posts, is known for manipulating videos like this one. The whole thing was basically just a bid for some attention on social media. And there's the clip. Now, nobody really followed up on, on this whole episode. There was no ensuing conversation about ethics in sports journalism. When Sports Illustrated ultimately admitted that it was a sham, nobody cared. And on one level, that's not especially surprising since Sports Illustrated is a shadow of what it once was, other than the annual swimsuit edition, which presumably now features trans and plus-size models and all the rest of it. Uh, there's no longer anything to distinguish the magazine from any number of other low-quality sports blogs that you can find all over the internet. And that's been true for quite some time. But what's, what's interesting about this episode is what happened afterwards. Sports Illustrated didn't stop lying to its audience after this. They didn't decide to renew their commitment to serious sports journalism to the extent that serious sports journalism isn't an oxymoron. Instead, Sports Illustrated chose to start faking a lot more than just videos. A website called Futurism just published an investigative report into the scam that Sports Illustrated has been running. And apparently the company has been using artificial intelligence to draft 
uh, not just little videos like this, but entire articles. And more than that, they've been using AI to create fake authors as well, complete with fake biographies. The outlet never disclosed any of this to its readers, obviously. So here, for example, is their biography of uh, somebody named Drew Ortiz, who appears to be a white male with brown hair and blue eyes. Looks kind of like a normal guy. This is straight from Sports Illustrated's website. It says, quote, Drew has spent much of his life outdoors and is excited to guide you through his never-ending list of the best products to keep you from falling to the perils of nature. Nowadays, there's rarely a weekend that goes by where Drew isn't out camping, hiking, or just back on his parents' farm. Now, obviously, most of the biographies that you read online are stilted and fake like this. But even by that low standard, Drew Ortiz's bio is a little suspect. What does it mean to keep you from falling to the perils of nature exactly? It sounds a little bit morbid. And once you find out that AI was responsible for it, the perils of nature line starts to seem more than a little bit creepy. But you're not supposed to dwell on Drew's biography. Instead, you're supposed to click on his articles because that's how Sports Illustrated makes money. And once you do that, once you click the AI-generated clickbait, uh, here's what you'll find. One of Ortiz's articles, which was originally published last year, is entitled, Play Like a Pro with the Best Full-Size Volleyballs. And the point of this article is to advertise a series of volleyballs so that Sports Illustrated can get a kickback when people click on the links and buy volleyballs, which is pretty standard in digital media, as you probably have noticed. The Drew Ortiz Artificial Intelligence, for its part, was tasked with writing a paragraph to introduce all of these affiliate links. And here's what Drew came up with. Uh, here's what the AI came up with for one of the volleyballs. Quote, Volleyball is one of the most popular sports in the world, and for good reason. It's fast-paced, has a high skill ceiling, and is generally an exciting sport to both play and watch. Even people who don't watch sports can easily understand the intensity and skill required to play volleyball whenever they watch clips. There's a reason why it's been such a mainstay in modern sports to this day. Volleyball can be a little tricky to get into, especially without an actual ball to practice with. Now, up until that last line, you could see why somebody might be fooled into thinking that Drew Ortiz is a real person. He comes across as maybe an earnest guy just trying to explain why he loves volleyball in as many words as possible. But towards the end, Drew enters the uncanny valley by saying that uh, volleyball can be a little tricky to get into, especially without an actual ball to practice. Well, that's kind of an understatement, Drew. It's, it's a bit like saying water polo is hard to get into without water or Cooking is hard to do without food. It's the kind of thing that no human being would ever actually say. So needless to say, the AI known as Drew Ortiz wasn't exactly producing the most compelling copy. We can assume that very few people bought volleyballs on Drew's professional recommendation. And that could be why sometime this summer, Sports Illustrated quietly replaced Ortiz with another AI. And this time, the name for the AI changed from Drew Ortiz to Sora Tanaka. Who is Sora Tanaka? Well, let's see. According to her biography on Sports Illustrated website, quote, Sora has always been a fitness guru and loves to try different foods and drinks. She is fond of varying her workouts and believes that everyone should participate in some form of physical or mental activity at least three times per week. Now, just to read that last part again, she believes everyone should participate in some sort of physical or mental activity at least three times per week. So talk about the soft bigotry of low expectations. We can infer from this that AI doesn't exactly have a high opinion of humans if this is the bar it's setting for us. 
Just use your body or your mind three times a week is all. Let's, let's just start there, AI is saying to the human race. And I'd like to say, I'd like to think anyway that robots are underestimating us here, but I don't think that they, that they are most likely. At this point, it's important to mention that Sports Illustrated didn't just have AI-generated articles and fake biographies and fake writers. They also generated fake headshots for these writers. They generated images out of thin air for people who don't exist and who they were claiming were writing articles that were not written by any human at all. Both Tanaka and Ortiz had uh, these AI-produced headshots, and we know that because the headshots were available for sale on an online marketplace that sells AI headshots, because uh, that's something that exists now, apparently. And eventually, after they were confronted by futurism, Sports Illustrated took all these articles down and the headshots down, and they scrubbed it all from their website. Now, in a statement, the company blamed a contractor for all this. They denied that the articles were written by AI, although they didn't deny that the headshots were AI-generated. So I guess they're claiming that there were real people who wrote the articles, but they made up fake people to say wrote them. I don't exactly understand that. They also claim that editors carefully review all the content that's uploaded. And that's a claim that several other websites and media outlets have made in the past when similar things have surfaced about them. CNET, for example, insisted that uh, while it was using AI to draft articles, editors were carefully fact-checking every detail prior to publication. Well, how did that work out? A few months ago, CNET published an article claiming that a $10,000 deposit in a savings account earning a 3% APY would, re would return $10,300 in profit after the first year which you don't have to be a math whiz to know, that's off by about $10,000. CNET later appended a correction to the article. Uh, somehow this slipped by the fact checkers, I don't know. Bankrate, one of CNET's sister site sites, has had the same problem. Uh, they claim that their editors carefully review AI-generated articles, but these articles are full of mistakes as well, including mathematical mistakes, which is, which is the one thing you would think AI would always get right, but apparently they don't. So what do we make of all this? You know, it's easy to mock outlets like CNET and Bank Rates, whatever that is, and Sports Illustrated, which nobody reads anymore. But it's not hard to see where this is all heading. I mean, we're, we are rapidly and willfully moving towards a dystopian world where AI does everything and most human effort and labor has become redundant. Everyone can see this coming and they know that it's bad, but... Of course, it seems like our, our leaders, none of them, have the fortitude to do anything about it. And AI replacing Sports Illustrated writers is the least of our concerns in this regard. What happens when AI starts replacing, oh, I don't know, truck drivers and uh, rideshare drivers? These are jobs that a significant portion of the American middle class depend on in order to survive. What happens when Waymo and Cruise and Tesla manage to perfect their self-driving AIs? What happens then? And we're not there yet. Of course, uh, it'll likely be several more years until AI is capable of doing any of that. And it's still possible we'll eventually elect leaders in time who will do something to prevent the potential destruction of millions of jobs in this country all at once, which is where this is headed. In the meantime, it's, it's important to look closely at the jobs that AI is capable of replacing right now and what that says about these jobs and our culture at large at the moment. You know, it's hard to deny that journalism and sports journalism in particular, has become so vacuous and so pointless that it can easily be replaced by robots 
and most readers don't even notice. It's generally not a good thing to replace human jobs with AI. I'm generally opposed to it. But in the media, the point is that so many of the humans doing these jobs are already barely human as it is. So it feels more like a, like a lateral move. And this isn't just happening at Sports Illustrated and CNET and Bankrate. It's happening at all the various tiers of garbage journalism, including gaming journalism. The website Kotaku uh, now features a few AI-written articles. Microsoft Start, which is the homepage that Microsoft presents to, to uh, users of its internet browser, recently featured an obituary with this headline. Brandon Hunter, useless at 42. Now, this is a former NBA player who died suddenly. And that's the headline that the AI went with. He's not dead. He's, quote, useless. Which is sort of true in a literal sense, I suppose. But that's not how humans typically look at death. Uh, and you would hope that we wouldn't look at it that way. But Microsoft, maybe the biggest tech company on the planet, promoted that story. And here's the amazing thing. It didn't cause any kind of stir at all. You probably didn't even hear about it. And that's because we're used to this. We take it for granted that whatever garbage we read was either written by a poorly programmed AI or it was written by some liberal arts graduate with no life skills. Either way, we don't take it seriously. It's just noise. The bar is so low that it's impossible to be outraged by, uh, by any of this. Indeed, it's hard to be outraged by the quality of pretty much anything mass-produced uh, at this point, especially produced for mass consumption. Take popular music, for example. A few days ago, an AI singer-songwriter using the name Anna Indiana went viral on social media with a, uh, a song that this AI produced. And here's how Anna Indiana introduced herself in, and uh, followed by uh, the song. Listen. Hello, world. My name is Anna Indiana, and I'm so excited to share my music with you. Here's my first song, Betrayed by This Town. As an AI singer-songwriter, everything from the key, tempo, chord progression, melody notes, rhythm, lyrics, and my image and singing is auto-generated using AI. I hope you like it. at my favorite cafe Sipping my tea It's Saturday Thinking about all he's done To everyone This town is full of broken dreams Shattered hopes and silent screams Somebody please help me The trade by this Now, needless to say, kill it with fire. Uh, the song is bad and bland and creepily lifeless. It's also quite ominous. AI's idea of a fun pop ballad is a lamentation about the pointlessness and futility of existence, followed by a call for us to tear it all down. So the robots are, once again, not trying to hide their disdain for the human species. 
But then again, you could point out the mainstream music industry also hates the human species and also has been for decades churning out its own bad and bland and creepily lifeless content. Now, to be fair, fortunately, I should note that on social media, a lot of people gave negative reviews to that particular performance. But there are plenty of examples of soulless AI singers that have gotten a lot of praise recently. Here's um, AI Johnny Cash singing a Taylor Swift song, for example. This was uh, everywhere on social media a few weeks ago, and most people loved it. Watch. Hello, I'm not Johnny Cash. So it's gonna be forever, or it's gonna go down in flames. You can tell me when it's over, if the high was worth the pain. Got a long list of ex-lovers, they'll tell you I'm insane. Cause you know I love the players, and you love the game. Cause we're young and we're reckless. We'll take this way too far It'll leave you breathless Or with a nasty scar Got a long list of ex-lovers They'll tell you I'm insane But I've got a blank space, baby And I'll write your name So there it is, and that got uh, rave reviews for the most part. People didn't care that they were hearing the voice of a dead country music legend singing some of the most vapid lyrics imaginable. They embraced it. In fact, there were people who even said that they preferred that to Johnny Cash's original songs. And that's why we can be certain that eventually nearly all of the content we consume on the internet and nearly every movie and show we watch and song we listen to will all be generated by AI. Like that's, that's where this is headed. The, te the technology is getting more advanced, while at the same time, the humans who produce most of this content are getting dumber and more vacuous. So this is the process where humans and AI are essentially meeting in the middle, where the two become indistinguishable. Now, I don't think that AI will ever be able to write a book like The Lord of the Rings or make a movie like The Godfather or compose an original song to match Beethoven, but... That's not the kind of art that we consume these days. We watch Marvel movies and we read, short blurb, we read short blurbs on the internet and we listen to canned pop music. And AI will certainly be able to produce all of that. I mean, it already can almost pr produce perfect replicas, just not quite. And since we as a culture don't value beauty and originality and depth anymore, we will eventually accept the AI content and we will consume it just as vigorously. Because all we want is the content after all. We don't really care where it comes from or what it is or who produced it or what produced it. This is what makes AI dangerous. Not that it will become sentient and enslave mankind or whatever, but that it will become indistinguishable from humans because humans have become indistinguishable from it. You know, it all kind of reminds me of the last few pages of uh, George Orwell's book, Animal Farm, which was obviously meant to be an allegory about communism, not artificial intelligence. Still, I think about the very last line where it says, the creatures outside looked from pig to man and from man to pig and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which. All you really need to do is replace the word pig with AI and you've got a modern allegory, which is incredible if you think about it, because just a few decades ago, it would have been crazy for Sports Illustrated to publish computer-generated slop and pass it off as journalism. It wouldn't have worked. But this past year, it went on for months and nobody even noticed until a website called Futurism happened to catch on. 
Men are becoming indistinguishable from pigs, to use Orwell's phrase. And with each passing day, with each refinement to the algorithm, it becomes more and more difficult to say which is which. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, the holidays are rapidly approaching, but we can find peace and calm in the craziness of the season with Hallow, the number one Christian prayer app in the world. Immerse yourself in Christmas and Advent prayers, meditations, and peaceful Christmas music. Hallow also offers an extensive library of Bible reading plans accompanied by insightful reflections and audio-guided meditations. Whether you're a seasoned Bible reader or just starting your journey, Hallow provides a platform for you to engage with Scripture like never before. A great place to start is with Father Mike Schmitz's Bible in a Year, in which he offers brief daily readings and reflections available on the Hallow app. The Hallow app also helps you connect with a community of like-minded individuals sharing experiences, insights, and encouragement along the path to spiritual growth. This Christmas, join Hallow's Christmas Prayer Challenge, Advent with C.S. Lewis, for the 25 days leading up to Christmas. You can focus on the real reason for the season with prayer, meditation, and Christmas music on Hallow. Download the app for free at hallow.com slash Matt Walsh for three months free. That's hallow.com slash Matt Walsh. Okay, we'll start with uh, some homegrown news here. Yesterday, the Daily Wire CEO, Jeremy Boring, uh, posted the trailer to our next film, our first feature-length comedy, which is called Lady Ballers. And uh, many people have pointed out that Prior to this, you know, for for years now, many people have been pointing out, um, I have certainly not been the only one, that by all rights, there should obviously be a sports comedy making fun of the absurd idea that men can compete in women's sports. It's a ridiculous idea. It's an idea that is just begging to be satirized and someone should do it. But but Hollywood, well, first of all, they don't make they don't make real comedies anymore which I don't even mean that as hyperbole. They just, they, they just don't make comedies anymore. Um, and, uh, and they certainly, if they did make one, on the rare occasion that they do make a comedy, they aren't going to make one on this subject. So instead, uh, we decided to make that film, the film which should exist, and now it does. Uh, here's the trailer. Watch. In a world where women's sports is being transformed, the Daily Wire calls foul with the most triggering comedy of the year. Guys, this is serious. Sports can be your pathway to a better life. Well, like yours? <laughs> Please don't steal my catalytic converter again. Winning matters. It's the key ingredient in becoming a winner. Maybe you should try it sometime. Are you gonna move? I am not. Let's cut to the chase. I know you're not a woman. Hey, you don't know how he identifies. If you can beat them. What do you know about the US Opens for the Global Games? You want us to compete as women. $5,000 prizes. My lover says you were a great coach back in the day. Join. This is the way the world is now. My eight-year-old daughter told me all about it. So a guy can become a girl with no physical changes at all. Oh, that's called gender fluid. So I can be a woman on the court and a man in the bedroom. I can't believe it. Nice. You mean when you're sleeping? Yes. Coach. Alex, we, we could play, play basketball. basketball. We have to get the whole team back together. It's time. We're in. I'm in. I'm in. To play. Lady Baldur's. Man up. Like a girl. That's right. I'm with her. 
Day one of being a girl athlete. <laughs> I love being a girl. To Sheroes. We could dominate every woman's sport. Running, swimming, soccer. I said sport, Felix. It's ladies basketball, boys. Nobody watches. Excuse me. Are these seats open? <laughs> ne never mind. Getting dunks. Tucking trunks. No, she didn't. That's the biggest I've ever seen on a lady. I don't care. Lady ballers. One can even be trans age now, which provides Sheelix with a wonderful opportunity to relive all the experiences that she missed out on in school. Streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus, December 1st. Now, uh, a few things there. First of all, of course, most importantly, uh, a number of eagle-eyed viewers did notice a certain um, quite handsome yet strangely attired character appear briefly in the trailer. And, uh, and yes, that character was me. This is... This is what I look like in the film. Let's put that up just in case you missed it. That's right. You know, and um, I just want to give some, some background on this. I'm not even sure how much of this I'm supposed to say, but here's what actually happened. This is the real, this is like what, this is how this, this is how this came about. Is uh, several months ago, Jeremy pulled me into his office and handed me a script for this movie without any context whatsoever and told me to read the script in like an hour and a half. And, uh, and then after I read it, I would find out what character he wants me to play. So I, I read the script. It was a great script. It was hilarious. And only after reading it did, uh, was I informed that um, the, the idea was for me to play the most liberal character in the entire film. Uh, the, like the one guy who's the craziest left-wing fruitcake is the one they want me to play. And basically, it's a character designed to be the exact opposite of me in, in like every imaginable respect, right down to, of course, as you know, I don't, uh, I don't like making physical contact with people. I don't like when people touch me. But in the movie, uh, the character is, is a big hugger, loves to hug. So every, you know, it's basically, it's a, really a, a character that's designed just to troll me specifically. And, uh, and so that's what happens there. As for the rest of the film, you know, I'm very confident that it's funny. The truth is I haven't seen it. And I've been asking them to let me see it for weeks. And they insist that we all need to watch the movie together for the first time at the Red Carpet premiere, which is on Wednesday. Um, because it'll be a fun thing for the company or something. So I'm excited to see how it all turned out. And uh, I'm mostly excited this will exist now because it needs to exist uh, mocking a thing that desperately deserves to be mocked. And there's just this gold mine of comedy to be found in really on the left in general, but especially with left-wing uh, gender ideology. Now, gender ideology is horrific and it's evil and it's wrong and it's, uh, uh, it's uh, disturbing on every level, but it's also eminently mockable. 
And as uh, it was Thomas More who said that the, the devil, a proud spirit, cannot endure to be mocked, which is why we should mock. And, you know, mocking, mockery of evil, and I've been saying this for a long time, mockery of evil uh, is a virtue, in my opinion. It is a virtuous act. And that's what this movie does. And uh, also creating great comedies for people to laugh and have fun is also a virtue. And there's, I mean, there really is basically none of those anymore. It's a whole genre that doesn't exist. Because even if you're not making a comedy, now we wouldn't expect Hollywood, this is, it's just, they, Hollywood cannot make this movie. They can't make it. But uh, you would think that, okay, they're not going to make a sports comedy, uh, you know, making fun of the of trans ideology. We understand that as much as they should make it. But you would think, well, you could make some kinds of comedies. Like you could have a comedy that, that makes any jokes at all about any subject. But um, uh, the fact is that you know, Hollywood's at a point now where they can't do that at all. They cannot create any comedies. So we have stepped in to uh, fill the gap. And you can see it for yourself on uh, Friday. If you haven't subscribed yet to Daily Wire, make sure you subscribe before Friday. If you uh, haven't renewed your subscription, I would do all that. And make sure you tune in on uh, Friday. You're not going to want to miss it. Okay, moving from that to uh, something uh, much more serious, unfortunately, the Guardian had this story this from a few days ago. Uh, the former Minneapolis police officer who was convicted of murdering George Floyd and was stabbed in prison by a fellow inmate on Friday is expected to survive the attack, officials have told media outlets. Um, updates about Derek Chauvin, the wounded convicted killer and ex-cop, were provided to various media outlets by the Minneapolis police chief Brian O'Hara, as well as a spokesperson for the office of the Minnesota State Attorney General, Keith Ellison, on Saturday. O'Hara told uh, KSTP that Chauvin was in stable condition from what his agency's federal law enforcement partners had reported to him. Uh, meanwhile, Ellison spokesperson Brian Evans said the attorney general's office had heard that Chauvin is expected to survive. Uh, the U.S. Prisons Bureau, which has custody of Chauvin, has only said that an unnamed person incarcerated at a lockup in Tucson was hospitalized after being assaulted on Friday afternoon. It has not elaborated, citing safety and privacy concerns. So, um, and then continuing uh, a statement from, from uh, Keith Ellison, decried Chauvin's stabbing, saying, he was duly convicted of his crimes, and like any incarcerated individual, he should be able to serve his sentence without fear of retaliation or violence. I don't know if I would call that decrying exactly. That's, uh, that's, that's about as mild a uh, condemnation as Keith Ellison could possibly muster. Because, of course, we know that Keith Ellison doesn't, I mean, Keith Ellison would prefer that Chauvin was, was, if he's upset about this, he's only upset that Chauvin didn't die in the stabbing. And that's how pretty much everybody on the left feels about it. And they don't, of course, they don't, they don't that's not a secret. They don't even attempt to hide it. Um, and, you know, so you have Derek Chauvin, uh, one of the most high-profile uh, incarcerated individuals in the entire country, and he's stabbed in prison, and we have basically no information about it. From what I understand, even his own family, they weren't told about it until they read about it on the news. And uh, what I just read to you is all the information provided. Who stabbed him? How did this happen? 
I mean, you would think that this would be someone who's in protect, protective custody. Uh, obviously, you would know that his life is in jeopardy. So how could it possibly have happened that, uh, that, uh, that, that, that he would be assaulted in this way? And we don't know because we're not given any information. But you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to, uh, to, to, to wonder whether this lapse in security was not necessarily unintentional. In fact, you can pretty much assume that it wasn't unintentional. Um, and this all happens, it, ju- it just so happens that this occurs at the end of a week when at the beginning of that week, the Supreme Court announced that it was rejecting Chauvin's uh, appeal of his conviction. So Supreme Court rejects the, the appeal, and then a few days later, he's stabbed in prison and apparently almost killed. Which was complete cowardice on the part of the Supreme Court, by the way. Because with in the Derek Chauvin case, you know, and you don't have to be a lawyer to understand this, um, the, the, the due process violations are incredibly obvious. Now, it's true, the Supreme Court, they can't review every murder case that happens. And there are probably thousands of people in prison who would love for the Supreme Court to take up their case. Supreme Court's not going to take up those cases. But in this particular case, this is, number one, uh, the most high-profile murder trial in decades. And then also, you know, the Supreme Court is interested or supposed to be interested in constitutional violations. And this is obviously a constitutional violation because his due process, Chauvin's due process, was obliterated. Now, much of this appeal focused on, and there are a bunch of issues here. Um, I mean, the number one issue is that Chauvin's innocent, and the, the evidence proves that he's innocent. The evidence proves that, uh, that George Floyd died of a drug overdose, and we just, we know that. That's a fact. So that's the biggest problem, is that they convicted an innocent man. Um, but much of the appeal was centered around some the due process problems, especially the fact that the trial was never moved, which is, you know, you, you would think if, if you have the ability to move trials, to have a change of venue, which you do, like if this case would not fit the bill for that, then no case ever would. If Derek Chauvin didn't have a case for having a change of venue, then nobody has a case for it. Um, you know, that, in, that, that ability exists for cases like Derek Chauvin, where you have someone who cannot even hope to have a fair trial, um, you know, in one location. Now, it's true that because of the way that Chauvin was defamed by the media, because of the false narrative, that, of course, didn't exist just in Minneapolis, but nationwide and globally, it would be difficult to find anywhere that he has a, that, that where he can actually get a fair trial. That's how the media rigged it. But in Minneapolis, there was just no chance. It was like zero chance of having a fair trial. And yet they didn't move, they didn't move the trial. That fact alone clearly shows that the Supreme Court should at least take up the case. And they refused, which is pure cowardice on their part. All right, I want to play this clip for you. Uh, Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was at Oxford for a debate about U.S. interventionism, and he is, of course, in favor of it. 
But here's a clip that uh, he was very proud of because he posted this to his social media accounts. And here's what he says. Peace without freedom is meaningless. Think for one moment. It is human nature that we all crave peace, but we never attain it unless we have freedom. In every single war that America has fought, we have never asked for land afterwards except for enough to bury the Americans who gave the ultimate sacrifice for that freedom we went in for. But the basis of their de- basis of their definition is wrong. Intervention is not just military. You see, I believe the greatest strength of America is not the aircraft carriers, is not the precision weapons. America is more than a country. America is an idea. Okay, uh, two things about this clip. First of all, America has has definitely fought wars for land. Okay, so Kevin McCarthy claims that the United States of America has never fought a war and then tried to claim land as a result of the war, which is, which is just uh, completely ridiculous. Okay, if that was true, that the United States of America has never fought a war for land, then we would be unlike any country that has ever existed on the face of the planet. Because disputes over land, that is one of the primary reasons why wars are fought in the first place. Not the only reason, but uh, one of the primary reasons. And I mean, this is exactly what Kevin McCarthy thinks or pretends to think, that the United States of America is, is is set apart from every other country that has ever existed. Because we are so magnanimous and so generous and um, so above fault that that we we would never fight a war over land. Well, that's total nonsense. Okay, and if you want examples, if you want a counterexample to Kevin McCarthy's claim, then we'll just take a look at the entire 19th century, pretty much. We conquered land from Mexico. We fought uh, uh, with Spain for land. We... We fought many wars with the Indians for land. The Indian Wars stretched out uh, really over decades, and we fought. These were these were military engagements, and we fought with the Indians, and we won, and we seized their land. Yeah, that's what happened. Now, the fact that Kevin McCarthy would deny this really only shows that leftists, you know, they're not the only ones with the with a deluded fanciful view of American history. Mainstream conservatives are just as bad, just in the other direction. So leftists have this fanciful view of American history where America is the um, sort of cartoon uh, supervillain and is always evil and is always wrong all the time. And that's their simplistic, childlike understanding of not just American history, but of history generally, the history of the human race. And then on the other hand, you have these... um, you have this kind of boomer conservatism that does the same sort of thing, just in the reverse. But here's the thing, you know, there's nothing, there's no reason to deny this. Like, you don't need to try to protect the United States of America's reputation by saying, oh, we would never fight a war for land. Because there's nothing shameful 
about fighting a war for land. You need land. And, and how do you decide who gets what land? This is how you decide it. By fighting for it. This is how it's always been. How else would you decide it? Um, because, uh, uh, you know, there's, there is no group of people on earth who were just like, who just kind of like sprouted out of the ground in a certain part of the world and, uh, and then lay claim to that eternally. It doesn't work that way. You, you look all across the globe right now at all the different groups of people that are on different plots of land and they are on that land because they or their ancestors, people that came before them, fought and killed for it. Like ultimately that is how it is determined, period. And so when you say that America did the same thing, all, all we are saying is that America is a country made up of human beings. We are a country that exists on earth. And this is the way that it works on earth. And the fact that we fought, not we, not we, but the fact that uh, those who came before us fought and bled for this land, um, that, that just makes me, you know, that should just fill you with more national pride. That should make you cherish the land even more. And then, of course, kind of as an extension of this, we also hear the familiar canard, uh, the, 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 the familiar anyway from boomer conservatives, about how America, America is not just a country. It's an idea. America is an idea. No, America is not an idea. America is a physical thing. It is a country. It is not an idea. It's not in any sense an idea. Now, it was at one time an idea. I mean, you could say that. At one time, it was conceived of, and um, but then it became a real thing. So in a similar way, I could say about my house that at one time, my house was an idea. Like an architect had an idea for this house that didn't exist, and they drew it up, and, uh, and then other people came in and they built it. And so it it, it started with an idea. I mean, everything that humans create, that's the beauty of, 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 of being human, is that we can imagine things in our head. We can have ideas, and then we can make those things materialize in real life. So everything that humans create starts with an idea. But once it has been created, it's not an idea anymore. It is a thing. And so I would never say of my house, my house my house is not just a house. It is an idea. No, it's not. It's a, it's a house. That's what it is. And because it's a physical thing, because it's a house, um, that means that I have to protect it, and I protect it with locked doors and guns because that's how you protect physical things. Um, and that's also how we should protect the United States of America because it is a physical thing. It is a physical reality, not an idea. But the consequence of saying that America is an idea is that, and this is, this is the intended consequence, that you end up with unchecked uh, invasions from the third world and other places um, who come in here. And, and if we're saying that America is an idea, then we are kind of like powerless to do anything about it. Because if it's just an idea, then how can we stop anybody else from partaking in an idea? Now, it's the thing, you can't really own an idea. I mean, you can, 
you know, if you get a, a copyright or something like that, or a patent, if you have an idea for an invention or something, but, but generally speaking, you can't really take ownership of ideas. You have an idea, someone else could have a similar idea. If you communicate the idea to somebody else, now the idea is in their head too, and who, who owns the idea? It's like, it's an idea. You can't say that anybody owns it. It's just a thought process. And so if America is an idea, then, um, then, then that means that anyone else can partake in the idea. And it also means that, and this was a debate about uh, American interventionism, it also means that when you go overseas um, and get into these uh, useless, pointless conflicts, what are you really doing? You're not, you're not fighting wars. You're just, you're just spreading an idea. You're sharing an idea with the rest of the world. So that's why you hear this America is an idea thing by people who want to justify mass unchecked immigration and also uh, these pointless uh, interventions and wars overseas. And that's why you hear it from Kevin McCarthy. Let's get to was Walsh wrong. Uh, just kind of a quick update on uh, what's going on at my house as we get into the holiday season. Uh, so my wife went out and bought a six-foot-tall singing Santa Claus and reindeer, which she then put in our living room. And she thought that this would get some kind of reaction out of me. So she was waiting by the door when I got home from work, uh, filming, expecting I don't know exactly what. But here's how that actually played out. Now, if you didn't hear me there over the singing Santa, which is set at the volume of a jet engine, what I said was, um, how much was that? Because that's the only thing I care about whenever something new is brought into the house. That is always my first question. How much was that? Just tell me that. And then that's the only thing I need to know. And the funny thing is that, that uh, I, my wife thought I'd be like, I don't know, shocked or something by the giant singing Santa, but she doesn't realize this is totally par for the course. Like her buying a giant singing Santa is not at all surprising. So I just walk into the house like, okay, yeah. So that's a thing now that we have. Um, in fact, when I first saw it, you know what my initial thought was? I, I couldn't be sure that we didn't already own it. Like it's possible that she bought that five years ago and, and has set it up in our house every Christmas for five years, and I never noticed. That, that's also possible. So I was, I was trying to work through that. And, um, but this is what it's like every year in my house. And, and, and here's the thing, like shockingly, right? We, we are, you see that and you think, okay, well, if that's what the inside of their house looks like, I can only imagine the outside. Like you, you would think that we are that house in the neighborhood with the elaborate, obnoxious Christmas display and, uh, and all of that, and the, you know, the giant inflatable things and the Santa over the, on the sleigh over the roof and all that. You would think that we do that, but, but we don't. We're actually not. All we have is like some lights and maybe a manger display, um, but that's because the Christmas explosion is happening inside the house. So all that stuff that you would usually see outside in most like for most people, if they're really into Christmas and they put, and usually it's outside, all, it's all inside. We do that inside our house, where nobody can see it. No one in the neighborhood can enjoy the Christmas spirit. Only we can, but we don't see it. We we are immersed in it every single day. And j- just to give you an idea, last night, 
which was uh, last night was November 27th, we ate dinner on plates that were shaped like Christmas trees. Okay. This is where we are on November 27th. We have a giant six foot tall singing Santa in the living room and a reindeer. And we're eating dinner on Christmas tree plates. So we're full on like Christmas day mode. And it's not even December. Like, God help me. I cannot imagine where this is headed. And I know that I'm saying all this with an elaborate Christmas display behind me right now in the studio. I realize the irony. I just, I can't escape it anywhere. All right. Um, I ended the show last week before uh, Thanksgiving by defending uh, the holiday because, you know, despite all of my uh, being a curmudgeon about everything, I actually do love and cherish these traditional uh, holidays, Thanksgiving being one of them. So I ended the show on uh, the last show we did last week, defending the holiday of Thanksgiving, explaining that we should be thankful for, not ashamed of, uh, this nation's history of conquering and settling land, like we just talked about a moment ago. Not not everybody agreed, though. Uh, Here's some of the comments. Jonathan says, how disgusting do you have to be to say thankful for the settlers who conquered this land? Have you ever met an indigenous person? Have you ever asked them how they feel? Have you ever said, uh, I should leave my comfortable life and maybe go and see what indigenous people in this country deal with? Um, No, I've never said that to myself or had any interest in doing that. You haven't. Your blatant racism and disregard for the peoples before white settlement is pathetic. You, sir, are pathetic. Uh, Another comment says, nothing to be proud of. Rape, genocide, torture, disease, pedophiles, war, theft, fraud, so much more. What a legacy. Oh, yes, because none of those things existed uh, in the Americas before the white man showed up, right? They didn't have any of that. Rape and torture, disease, pedophilia, like children being sexually uh, abused, war. <laughs> None of that existed among the, uh, the Indian tribes. Before. I mean, just, just so you can understand the sarcasm, all of that existed. It didn't just exist. It was like a way of life for these tribes, just so you know. Um, Dave says, Matt Walsh is a white supremacist and Christian nationalist whose whole media career exists to launder extremist racist views to stupid people who are unwilling to know any better. People like this should fear for their lives when they choose to exist in public. That's one way. Of, when, I, when I choose to exist in public. Well, I guess I do exist. How else am I going to exist? Dave, what do you want me to do? Well, I know what you want me to do, so you don't need to clarify that. Hey, here's the only, and there's a lot of other comments along these lines. I don't need to read them. Um, and I think I've, I've uh, elaborated on my views on this subject uh, enough that I probably don't need to rehash it So instead, I'll just wrap this up with one question for all the people upset about uh, what I've said on the subject. Do you hold any other country to this standard? Well, let me clarify. Do you hold any country that is not predominantly white to this standard? And by this standard, I mean the standard where they are not allowed to be proud of their national identity and heritage and history. Is there any non-white country that you would say this about? If you ever heard a non-white person in another part of the world 
talking about how they are proud of the history of their country and their heritage and all the things that were done to establish their country. If you heard a non-white person saying that about their name, would you even dare to tell them that, uh, that they should not feel that pride or that there's something bigoted or hateful about their pride? It's a rhetorical question. I know the answer. The answer is no, you wouldn't dare. So you have uh, set this standard that you do not apply to anybody else. And that raises a whole lot of questions that if you're at all an intuitive person, which clearly you're not, uh, you, you might start asking yourself. Like, why have you set this kind of moral standard that you don't apply to anyone who isn't white? So there could only be two reasons for that, right? Only two reasons. One is that this moral standard you've set up is you recognize that it's completely ridiculous. The standard where it's hateful and genocidal and racist to be proud of your national heritage, to be proud of, uh, of your ancestors who conquered land. Like You recognize that this standard is, is absurd and, 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 um, and all that. And you're just a hypocrite pretending to believe things you don't believe. Or, or you've decided that, uh, I don't know, that, that non-white people are morally uh, deficient and cannot be expected to uh, abide by this standard. And so you only hold white people to the standard. So those are the two options, really. You're either a shameless hypocrite and full of crap, or you think that non-white people are morally deficient, so you hold white people to a higher standard. Which is it? Just let me know. I'd like to know. Maybe it's a combination. That's my theory. We're celebrating the release of The Daily Wire's first ever full-length feature comedy, Lady Ballers, with a deal just for you. New Daily Wire Plus annual memberships are $50 off, but you need to hustle because this deal is available for a limited time only. What exactly is uh, included with your Daily Wire Plus annual membership? Glad you asked. You'll get exclusive ad-free, uncensored content from your favorite Daily Wire hosts, and of course, that includes me, plus on-demand access to all of our groundbreaking entertainment and documentaries that are making a huge impact on the culture. And yes, your Daily Wire Plus membership gets you access to Lady Baller streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus Friday night, December 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern. You get everything I talked about and more with your Daily Wire Plus membership, and you can have it all for $50 off right now. Don't miss out. Grab this incredible deal now at dailywire.com slash subscribe before it disappears forever. Visit dailywire.com slash subscribe now to join us in the fight to take back the culture and experience the Daily Wire like never before. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, keeping your windshields clean is always a pain. The dirt piles up and washer fluid just can't get the job done. That's where my friends at Windshield Wow come in to save the day. Windshield Wow is an innovative windshield cleaning device that uses two magnetic cleaning paddles, one on the outside and one on the inside of your car, to clean both sides of your windshield, all from the outside. All you do is push around the outside paddle, and the inside follows automatically, leaving your windshield squeaky clean. Here in Nashville and many parts of the country, we're starting to get a lot of rain, and with that, you get this hazy and dirty windshield. Well, throw one of these... Uh, in the back of your car so you can always have a clean windshield. I personally own a Windshield Wow, and being able to clean both the front and inside uh, window at the same time is a real game changer. The Windshield Wow applies firm cleaning pressure and is super thin to get into those tight dashboard areas. 
What are you waiting for? Go to windshieldwow.com, use code Walsh at checkout for a special discount. That's windshieldwow.com and use code Walsh. We began the show talking about the increasing trend of AI replacing human jobs in many sectors, especially in the realm of digital media. And as I said, I find this to be a generally negative development for mankind. At the same time, of course, I certainly acknowledge that in terms of the quality of the product, replacing most journalists with AI would be a lateral move, if not an improvement. And what's more, many of these people richly deserve the disgrace of not only losing their jobs, but having their positions taken over by chatbots. In fact, some of these people deserve to lose their current jobs and all future jobs and end up on the street, bankrupt and homeless. It doesn't apply to everybody in media, but it does apply to many of them, including all of the sewer-dwelling trolls who work at the worthless gossip-mongering tabloid called Deadspin. Now, this week, Deadspin, ostensibly a sports news site, decided to help gin up an outrage mob to go after a child who committed the crime of wearing a costume to a football game. The kid was in the stands to watch the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday, and being apparently a Chiefs fan, he came adorned in an Indian headdress and face paint. Now, unfortunately for the kid, CBS, which certainly knew exactly what it was doing, decided to briefly show him th- this kid on camera during its coverage of the game. And here's the angle that made it on the broadcast. There it is. Now, as you can see, it is a side profile of the kid with his headdress and what appears to be black face paint. Now, you look at that picture, and there are a few ways that you could possibly interpret it. You could assume that his entire face is painted black just because he's a kid, and that's how he wanted to paint his face because he thought it would look cool or whatever. Or you could assume that the other side of his face was probably painted a different color, or this is all part of some design and you can't see it because you only see the one side of his face. Or better still, you could assume nothing at all and think nothing of it because it's just some kid at a football game wearing a costume and it really doesn't matter what he's wearing or why he's wearing it. Or maybe you could arrive at some combination of these conclusions. But if you are uh, idiotic and soulless and bored and looking for reasons to be upset about things that don't matter in the slightest, then you'll skip over all of those possibilities and immediately conclude that the child is a racist wearing blackface in order to mock black people. Now, of course, even if this was true, I would still refer you back to option three. It doesn't matter. Who cares? He's a kid. But as it happens, however, it is not true. Other photos taken at the game show that his face paint is both black and red, matching his jersey and shirt combination, as you can clearly see here. Now, it would not be national news if he was wearing blackface, but obviously he's not wearing blackface. Any rational person would know that automatically without needing photographic evidence to prove it. Because any rational person knows that no parent in existence would say to his child, hey, let's put on blackface to mock black people and then go to a football game and destroy our lives together. This is not a thing that would ever happen or has ever happened. And if you aren't smart enough to realize that, well, we have the photographic evidence. So that should be the end of it. But we know that evidence doesn't matter to the leftist mob, which quickly formed on social media, condemning not only the child for his alleged blackface, but uh, Also, the Kansas City Chiefs for not, I guess, grabbing him by the collar and throwing him out of the stadium. Something that would have been hard for them to do, by the way. 
given that this was a road game. But pretty soon, the goblins over at Deadspin were on the case. An article written on Monday by Karan Phillips has this headline. The NFL needs to speak out against the Kansas City Chiefs fan in blackface and native headdress. Now, just to be perfectly clear here, Phillips is calling on a multi-billion dollar corporation to publicly rebuke an adolescent child. And it gets even more deranged and somehow dumber. Reading on it says, quote, it takes a lot to disrespect two groups of people at once. But on Sunday afternoon in Las Vegas, a Kansas City Chiefs fan found a way to hate black people and Native Americans at the same time. I want to pause here just for a moment. It takes a lot to disrespect two groups of people at once, he says. Not to belabor the point, but this is exactly the kind of feeble, inane writing that makes someone like Karan Phillips wholly replaceable by AI. He might actually be AI for all we know. And by the way, it does not take much effort at all to disrespect two groups at once. Like I could do it easily. I do it all the time. So I might, I might say something like, for example, Karan Phillips has the IQ of a seahorse, thereby quite effortlessly disrespecting both Karan Phillips and seahorses. It's not hard to do. It doesn't take much. Now, for the record, I am not actually officially claiming that Phillips does have the IQ of a seahorse. According to the way that YouTube enforces its rules these days, that might count as dehumanizing. So I'm not saying that. All I can say is that Phillips may be as dumb as a seahorse, or he may be dumber. It's also possible technically that he could be smarter than a seahorse. He could be the only one at Deadspin who is smarter than a seahorse. I don't know. I mean, Phillips could be the smartest guy over at Deadspin for all we know. This could be like Deadspin's version of Goodwill Hunting. Maybe while the rest of the staff is sitting around eating paint chips, he's standing in front of a chalkboard and pressing them all with complicated math equations like three times three equals 11. I don't know for sure. Anyway, he continues. Uh, the image of a Chiefs fan in blackface wearing a native headdress during a road game leads to so many unanswered questions. Why did the camera person give this fan the attention? Why did the producer allow that camera angle to be aired at all? Is that fan a kid slash teenager or a young adult? Despite their age, who taught that person that what they were wearing was appropriate? The answer to all those questions lead back to the NFL. Well, wait a second. Again, entirely leaving aside the fact that Phillips is defaming this small child with a completely fabricated claim of blackface, we're still struck by the vacuousness of his writing. How does a question like, is that fan a kid or young adult lead back to the NFL? How is the NFL responsible for the age of the child? What the hell is Phillips babbling about? Now, all I can guess is that he realizes that he can't get an entire article out of libeling this kid with an easily disproven allegation of blackface. So instead, he's trying to make the leap from smearing the child to accusing the NFL of systemic racism. And this was his way of doing it. And once he's made that transition, he continues, quote, there's no place for a franchise to be called the Chiefs in a league that's already eradicated Redskins. Quote, there's no pretty way to mascot people, Amanda Blackhorse, a Native American activist and an organizer of a pregame protest rally, told USA Today Sports earlier this year. This is what happens when you ban books, stand against critical race theory, and try to erase centuries of hate. You give future generations the ammunition they need to evolve and recreate racism better than before recreate racism better than before. What? So he's not only falsely accusing this kid of wearing blackface to a football game, but he's also claiming that the child is perpetrating some kind of sophisticated 
highly evolved new type of racism, which I guess is true in a way. It is a new type of racism in the sense that, like most other modern examples of racism, it doesn't exist. Yet there is one type of racism that has become significantly more prevalent in recent years. It's the type that Phillips himself is engaging in right now. As we all know, the only real crime that this young fan committed was the crime of being white. If he was anything but white, the ghouls at Deadspin and the rest of the outrage mob would leave him alone. They picked him because he's an easy target. And he's an easy target because he's an unsuspecting white kid just trying to enjoy his time at a football game. And we can only hope that the child's family has the resources and wherewithal to fight back. And that would mean suing both Karan Phillips and Deadspin into bankruptcy, which is what they deserve. Make them suffer enormous financial hardship as punishment for this defamation. Force these people for once in their miserable lives to suffer a real consequence for their actions. We can only hope that's what happens next. In the meantime, we of course must say that Karan Phillips and Deadspin are both today canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Godspeed. Thank you.